0: Hey guys, this is Steven. Welcome to the History of FMW podcast. This is episode five. We're going to be covering 1991. Uh, but before we get started, uh, Brett, you wanted to go back to the last episode where you found an answer to one of the questions that we talked about.
1: Well, yeah, we talked about sponsors, um, and I had made mention that uh, that they did not have any sponsors in 1990. Well, they they. FMW had sponsors. Onita had made sponsors with friends. So he had um, a friend that sponsored the dojo um, and whatnot. So things like that. But they didn't have necessarily commercial sponsors, um, you know, like, you know, Chef ORED or anything like that sponsoring them up until um, around 1992. So it took a couple years and then um, Onita would end up appearing on like mainstream commercials for cereals and things like that. But in the first year, um, the only sponsor. That they technically had were people helping out Onita around like the office and um, the dojo
0: and whatnot. What would those guys get back?
1: Uh, Just pretty much just, I I think, you know, they were friends with Onita. I think, um, you know, Onita would make deals with them, you know, things like that. Um, But as far as, you know, I think it's just having a relationship with a big celebrity. You know, a lot of the sponsors uh, in Japan, what they do is, um, I don't know necessarily about those specific ones, but a lot of sponsors, what they do is they go out and have drinks with the wrestlers and stuff. So a lot of wrestlers have particular personal sponsors, um, and then, you know, in return, hey, I get to hang out with this celebrity you know have drinks with them and you know they kind of act like they're my friend for the night uh those kind of situations that happens a lot in
0: japan it definitely does um one other thing that i wanted to go back to i was going through the observer and i read about um apparently in 1990 uh yamaguchi a referee for fmw he wound up working for Hisatsune shinma to start universal now I had never really heard of the Universal Federation, and I was wondering if you could kind of uh, uh, tell us what that wound up becoming.
1: Well, it was yeah, it was a Lucha uh, Libre uh, in Japan promotion, um, kind of introducing the uh, light heavyweight high, high flyers that weren't really you know seen in All Japan or New Japan, um, and it was you know. It was a startup company and everything. It didn't necessarily do very well, but it produced um, a wrestler by the name of Masa Michinoku, who was a very rich wrestler. Um, and after uh, Universal closed down, um, he uh, um, Masa Michinoku, who became the great Sasuke, uh, started up Michinoku Pro, which is still going on to this day.
0: And, and that's awesome, I and mean, we're going to be learning about him in a few uh, a few years. But for right now, we're talking about 1991, and uh, to start in uh, 1991, uh, FMW, they ran the first show on January 6th, where they began a, uh, uh, a short tournament for the new FMW World Tag Team Team Titles. Why did it take so long for FMW to establish a tag team title?
1: Uh, because the establishment for the first year was just to
0: get Onita over. It was
1: to establish, you know, the style of matches, the martial arts, the bleeding, the the death matches, and everything. Um, it was to get Onita over and everything. So that was kind of the main focus. Tag, te- you know, there were tag teams. You know, Japan has a lot of tag teams and whatnot. Our tag team matches throughout the cards and everything. Um, but it wasn't necessarily an establishment or a priority to let's get you know tag team titles, um, you know, and make them part of the promotion. Motion up until it took about a year or so, and that's when they decided that they were going to um, have a tag team. Uh, and it wasn't tag team division really; it was just kind of Onita and another wrestler taking on, you know, top heel and another wrestler type matches in uh, tag title matches.
0: Cool. Uh, two guys who are coming in are going to be Farachev and Shivali. I, th- I hope I'm saying that yeah, right. I just call him Boris. <laughs> Boris, that's cool to me. Uh, and these and uh, these two guys—they they wound up defeating Tarzan Goto and Ricky Fuji in this uh, tag team tournament. Uh, what was the background on these guys?
1: they were the, um gregory uh, verdichef Ver- Ver- um he was the uh, he was a former uh, judo uh fighter in the olympics and he actually medaled i think in the 84 olympics so onita had brought him in um from russia to kind of you know have a have a main uh a, a main event a uh, big show match with him so um they were pretty much brought them in to get them over and get the uh, judo style um over um to set up the onita match in the near future
0: Awesome. And uh, uh, just to say, in the main event, uh, Onita would team with Sambo Asako to defeat uh, Mr. Pogo and the Gladiator, Mike Awesome, in the main event. Now, um, in The Observer, Dave said that this match left the building in pieces. Uh, What type? I, I was trying to find this online and I couldn't find it. What type of match was this?
1: It was pretty much a match where they just brawled all over the building, threw chairs all over the place. Um, Both Onita and Pogo bled everywhere. Um, You know, just one of those kind of chaos, uh, chaos, uh, you know, brawl, brawling style matches that um, you know that FMW had started getting really popular in 1990.
0: Using. Now, um, I'm going to ask this again later, but I may as well say it now. Is there any worry when these chairs are flying? You know, because in these types of matches, I've seen them, the chairs are just flying all over. Is there any worry that the fans are going to get injured, and is there any type of rule or law with, like, the building?
1: I don't think there's a rule or law. I think, you know, Japan is very more loose than it would be in America. That's how they're able to get away with it. The announcers are always screaming, you know, move out of the way, get out of the way. So fans know they need to move out of the way. Um, You know, there's always that possibility. You know, obviously the wrestlers are trying to avoid, you know, ever hitting anybody. Um, I, you know, I think... If they, I think, um, if they end up hitting them purposely, obviously they're going to get in big trouble. I, but I haven't heard any story about an accident or anything like that, or you know, a punishment as a result of an accident. And like we mentioned in the last episode, you know, Karisu, um, you know, he got in too close to a fan and you know, and punched him, and you know, On- so Onita fired him. Um, you know, so they had those strict rules about that. But as far as like accidents or anything, I'd never heard of you know a fan necessarily you know getting injured. And if they did, you know nothing like they got sued or anything like that.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, if you can throw fans, or I'm sorry, if you can throw chairs all, you know, all over and chase fans, what did he do to get fired? I'm wondering if he pulled a, you know, a knife on someone or something. But um, <laughs> uh, okay, just to note, uh, the. Uh, the tournament uh, uh, it finished on January 15th in Sendai, where uh, in a rematch, uh, Pogo and Mike Awesome they defeated Onita and Asako to win the title in front of 4,351 people, so FMW is still drawing strong. Uh, also, during the, the tour, the women's matches are becoming a bigger and bigger part of the company. Uh, most shows are having two or three women's matches on each card, and the WBA women's title is becoming a more featured title. Um... I'm just curious what is the impact that this is having on the magazines by having the mixed promotions like uh, I know at that time the AJ the all the all Japan women shows were famous for being like 90 percent women and I'm sure the FMW it's more switched Uh, is there acceptance of this or are the fans pushing shing back.
1: Um, Pretty much uh, Megumi Kudo at this point and Combat Toyota are the only ones really getting over. And, I mean, as far as magazines go, um, for the most part, they're still actually in the back of the magazines with the undercard. Uh, Megumi Kudo ends up getting a high-profile position in a a cover of Pro Wrestling Weekly uh, in March of this year. And so that's a really big deal. And that actually became a really famous uh, magazine cover. Um, So pretty much it's still, you know, it's, it's getting more accepted but it's not anything that's super overwhelming. This is, you know, really popular because like I said, the matches for the most part are still, uh, you know, uh, in the back, back, of the magazines.
0: One more question about the, uh, uh, the women, um, in Mar. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Dave wrote that, um, Norito Tateno of the jumping bomb angels is going to retire in March. And that, uh, Titano may just leave all Japan women and possibly go to FMW, showing that FMW is a viable alternative. What are the politics of all Japan women retiring the female wrestlers?
1: When uh, a girl's 27 or 28, uh, they want them to go all out. They want them to be, you know, physically, you know, be able to work as hard as possible, but, you know, they can't, they don't want the, they didn't want the girls, you know, doing this for 20, 30 years. So they set a a limit on how old they can be. And then, you know, they retire because also they felt like that, you know, the girls were starting at 16, 17, you know, that gives them 10, 11, 12 years um, to, you know, perform. And at that point, they don't want their bodies breaking down. And they want to be able to they want to be able to move on, you know, to the next set of superstars. You know, they felt like it was kind of OK. You know, it's been 10 years time to move on to the next group of uh, wrestlers. So they put that time, you know, that time limit pretty much so that no girl could go be wrestling into their 30s or anything like that. And, you know, it's such a hard style to perform. You know, it's going to end up, you know, they felt would cause long term injuries if they kept performing.
0: Cool. Um, now uh, the next show won't be until fe- until February twenty sixth, and then the next show after that won't be until uh, mid to late March. Why are there such long gaps between shows here? They just
1: wanted to focus on the uh, Corrigan Hall shows for this set. Um, you know, usually it was only one show a month for Corrigan, but this one was kind of focusing on just on two back to back nights of Corrigan Hall. And you know, Onita might have had you know certain plans to go to another country or something like that you know to scout other talent um so that might have left you know certain days open that he needed to be away but like i said the main focus was just working you know uh, promoting these two shows for the month
0: speaking of uh new talents uh, a name that jumped out at me is uh pandita debuted on this show who was this
1: That was uh, Luis Hernandez. He was a Tijuana wrestler um, that they found uh, about two months earlier, um, I guess when they were, you know, scouting in Tijuana. And they liked that gimmick of a panda because uh, pandas are really popular in Japan. Um, He's, you know, kind of a short, um, you know, um, chubby wrestler. So he wasn't very good at all. But it was a, you know, they they, they could tell that this was a good comedy gimmick that they could bring over. Again, pandas are really popular over there and that they would be be able you know he would be able to get over and with a comedy style match
0: Hey, cool also on the show uh combat toyota would defeat to De- despina goto who is tarzan goto's wife um i'm just curious and if you don't know that's fine but is there any political push to get despina to like the top of the the women's card
1: Well, at this point, she's actually was on her way out. I don't think she uh, lasted that much longer after um, this time period. She was pushed as a monster at the beginning. And that probably is due to, you know, Goto being married to Goto. But also she just had more experience. She'd been around in the 80s um, as, you know, as an American wrestler and whatnot. And, you know, in Japan, you know, seniority goes a long way. So here you have, you know, a bigger woman, uh, you know, bigger than the town. She's got more experience. And, yeah, she has a little more political pull. So she was you know, pushed as a top girl in 1990, but like I said, by 1991, she actually was on her way out. So she's going to uh, – you know, there's not that many more shows that she appears on at this point. She doesn't go into 1992 or anything like that.
0: Um, Brett, um, I don't know if you know, so I'm just going to ask once, and I don't mean to break up the timeline here. But um, I'm seeing a lot of <laughs> stuff on, online right now that Tarzan Goto is on like a television show right now
1: uh yeah well he was he, they did a segment on him getting remarried um, oh okay yeah he had uh, you know he appeared uh, last month i think i mentioned this in the last episode he appeared on um a dating game show or not a, dating, a newlywed show with his new wife and um uh, that was about a couple months ago or over the summer um you know and then this last week or so sh- they appeared um you know on a segment on national tv just kind of going over um you know his new marriage and everything and right. he appeared on the show and they talked, they showed him at his restaurant and
0: everything like that. All right, cool. Yeah, I I, I was seeing it on Twitter and the translations weren't doing so well. So I thought I'd ask. Um, now, in the main event, uh, Onita defeated Tarzan Goto. Why did they do this rematch here? And was there any any story to it?
1: It was pretty much, um, you know, to be able to sell Corrigan Hall out, you know, it was a big, it was still a big match, a big show because that was the number one. Uh, you, you know, at this point, um, Goto had turned face after their Shido match, um, the exploding barbed wire match. So Goto turned face. So it had returned back to Onita's the number one face, Goto's the number two face. And so they knew they could draw with that, you know, because it still had uh, value. Um, but they also wanted Onita to win because he was going to be taking on uh, Gregory chef Ver- 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 in the next show. and he was actually going to end up losing that match so onita wanted to have a high established win before he ends up uh losing the next show
0: i just always wonder like why you like there's always a story about how randy savage never beat hogan it's it it seems like goto never beats onita is there any resentment there or or is it just business well
1: he he beat him at the first, the very first time they fought, and that. But yeah, then after that, Onita beats him every time. Um, yeah, there ends up being resentment. I mean, well, we'll get that. We'll get to that in 1995, I imagine, when Goto pretty much leaves the company as a result of Onita not doing the job for him. Uh, so yeah, there ends up being resentment. You know, a long-term resentment um, as a result. But it, it, it's down the line. <laughs> cool.
0: Now, uh, not on the show are going to be Mr. Pogo, Mike Awesome, uh, a few of the other foreigners. Uh, why are they not on this show?
1: Because it wasn't a tour. It was just those two shows. And uh, Mr. Pogo was living in Puerto Rico at the time. Uh, Mike Awesome was living in America at the time in Florida. Uh, so they didn't want to just fly these guys in just for two shows. Usually, you know, it's the standard tour of, you know, six, seven, eight shows, you know, for the month. That's when they'll fly them in. But for two shows, they felt like, you know, we could just pack up Corgan Hall by ourselves with, you know, Onita taking on, you know, Goto or Virtushef. And they were, you know, they were right. They sold both these shows out. So it was kind of one where we don't want They didn't want to spend the money to fly anyone uh, that they didn't need to.
0: So at this time, was was Pogo still, uh, uh, was he still uh, wrestling there?
1: Yeah, he was still living. Uh, he was still living in wrestling in Puerto Rico, uh, but you know, at, it gets to a point where um, their FMW is bringing him in every month. So at a certain point, he just goes, "I might as well just move to uh, back to Japan." But he had, you know, started a family with uh, a Puerto Rican woman and you know had had kids with them and everything. So that's why he wanted to stay in Puerto Rico at the beginning. But then it just got to be too hard, where flying in every month. Uh, you know, to Japan, which, you know, obviously that's where he's from, you know, it just got to a point where, okay, I'm just going to move back there.
0: Uh, the next night on, Fe- on February 27th, as he said, they ran bet, ba- they ran backpack shows at Kuroken and, uh, they were both sold out 2000 plus people. Um, Hey, do you know why Kuroken holds less people now? I think that's less. They
1: they don't set it up as much. The less chairs are set up, I think more fire restrictions. Okay. Um, you know things like that because it's obviously all the same chairs. But they also are able to move in and out uh, one side of the building. I believe it's the north side. You know, it's kind of like a bleacher thing where they can move more chairs and everything. A lot of times they don't move them in. But um, as far as fitting people in i think it's they're putting in less actual just you know random chairs that they can just put down on the floor i think they're doing less of that and as a result you know um i you know and I, again i think it's due to fire restrictions and everything like that only certain a number of people are allowed in the in the building cuz it's, it's a small you know area you know and um for being such a you know famous uh building it's a small, you know, uh, area, so that it, you know, they want, they couldn't fit that many people. You know, they can't fit that many people in anymore.
0: Yeah. All right. Cool. I was just curious about that. Now, um, on the on this show, Onita uh is defeated by Verachev, by Verichev, and he would lose the WWE Brass Knuckles Championship. Why was Verachev chosen to be the one to take the title?
1: he had the you know he was a big you know He was a big guy he had establishment because he had you know a legitimate martial arts background in judo um you know they liked him they you know he got over you know he worked really well all the wrestlers really enjoyed him um and everything so you know they just kind of and, and onita saw this as you know i lose to him and i'll beat him in a, on a bigger show and he'll make money and it did
0: now, um, I was able to find the second match they had, but uh, well, actually the third, but um, what was the crowd like after he won? Oh, they were, you know, I mean, it was
1: kind of, you know, they were kind of shocked that O'Neill lost because Onita wasn't losing that much at the time. But so it was a good setup to, you know, like it was kind of, you know, losing on the TV show to set up for the pay-per-view kind of, you know, atmosphere.
0: All right, cool. And after the match, they would rename the WWE Brass Knuckles title into the, the WWE Martial Arts title. Uh, is there any specific reason why it was changed?
1: It just fit better, you know, with uh, with Vir- Vir- de chef, uh, you know, is more of a martial arts style match. And so they just, you know, it fit, you know, it it went with the style, but uh, more and, you know, Onita was planning on more kind of actually a more martial art going up against martial arts wrestlers or, you know, shoot style guys in the future. So it just kind of fit the theme better than the brass knuckles name cool. at the
0: time. Um, at this time, Weekly Gong released their list of the most popular wrestlers by fan vote, and Onita came in six. He was right behind Tenryu and right in front of Liger and Anoki. Do wrestlers take these awards seriously?
1: I don't think seriously, I don't think it's, you know, keeping them up at night or anything like that. I think obviously rather, you know, it's kind of like the PWI 500 thing where, you know, the guy at number one is going to go, Hey, look, I'm number one, you know, that's cool. You know, but then the guy that's number, you know, 10 and behind someone that he feels like is better, you know, they're going to go, Oh, well this, this has no credibility, you know, things like that, where it's kind of an ego based thing where it's nice to be number one, but if I'm not number one, then eh, it doesn't matter.
0: One last note for February, um, and if you don't know, that's okay, but I'm just curious. Dave writes uh, that Ken Timbs, T-I-M-B-S, he would be coming into FMW for a big angle. Who is Ken Timbs, and do you know anything about this story? Uh, I haven't heard anything about the
1: story I've, uh, as far as him coming in. I know he worked in Georgia um, you know, in the 80s, and he worked in the Southwest Territory. Uh, he did uh, like a Hollywood Blondes kind of gimmick Uh in the eighties and whatnot, but I had never heard about him actually going into FMW and obviously, it, you know, nothing panned out. He never ended up going.
0: Okay, cool. Um, in March, uh, just for completionist purposes. Um, I, when I read these things, my, my stomach just, you know, gets these butterflies in it. But, uh, 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 March 2nd was the the first mention in the observer of Joel Goodhart and the tri-state wrestling association or the TWA. This was an early super indie with guys like, Cactus Jack, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Eddie Gilbert, Abdullah the Butcher, etc. And they would do hardcore barbed wire death matches. What was the TWA?
1: Uh, pretty much it was yeah, it was a uh, independent promotion in Philadelphia. Um, it lasted about a year. You know, they brought in high. Um, they brought in you know guys that cost a lot of money for an indie guy. You know, indie promotion. Uh, and they like you said, you had these super shows where blood, barbed wire. You know, kind of the similar style of what FMW was doing. You know, taking a little bit maybe of Puerto Rico by bringing in Abdullah. Uh, The Butcher and everything. So those kind of style of matches, the hard hitting, um, you know, it ended up obviously not working out, uh, but it kind of set the groundwork for Todd Gordon to uh, follow that promotion up with uh, the ECW promotion a year later.
0: All right. So um, in March, uh, FMW, they would open up the show on March 22nd in Shizuoka with uh, a pretty standard new uh, or I'm sorry, a pretty standard card. But uh, one new face is going to be Jose Estrada Jr. Uh, Who is this? It's
1: a uh, Puerto Rican wrestler um from the WWC promotion uh Victor you know he's just a Victor Canones uh connection uh so Victor brought him in for the show um you know he ended up uh actually he ended up coming back to FMW in uh 97 as um well as the Black Hayabusa and then he ended up uh leaving FMW to go to WWF where he was with the uh, Savio Vega's uh Los Pariquas, uh
0: group in 97 All right cool and the next night on the uh, the 23rd FNW, they ran the Saga Sports Center. Uh, the show drew uh, drew over over 4,000, and the main event was this elimination eight man ta- uh, uh, eight man tag team street fight. Uh, what was the Saga Sports Center, and why why did this show draw draw so many people?
1: It's a Southern, Saga's in Southern Japan in the Kyushu area. You know, it's just kind of a different style of match, you know, having that elimination, you know, four on board hadn't really been done. And, you know, just at this point, Onita's popularity is just getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, it's getting that name of, you know, here's blood and barbed wire and, you know, these wild street fights and, you know, fighting all over the crowd and, you know, things like that. So it's just picking up, you know, and it's just certain shows are going to, you know, do better than others. But yeah, like I said, the, you know, just that, that new kind of style of match of, you know, of elimination and, you know, certain, you know, multiple people getting pinned in the same match, you know, just drew more of an interest, um, you know, than usual even.
0: Cool. Uh, the next show, it's going to be on April 28th in Kanagawa. Um, a few new names that came about, there's a wrestler named El Profeso in the main event and he'll, and he'll be on, on this tour and he does a, I think a a barbed wire death match as well during the tour. Who was this?
1: I couldn't find really any information on him, um, but I believe because I was watching his matches and I believe it's the wizard uh, um, that we had t- talked about a couple episodes ago That he was from, um, you know, from the Texas area. And he came in with um, wild Bullman. Um, and So it's the same mass guy. Like I said, I don't have a name or anything like that, but it looked exactly like him. And it's definitely an uh, American uh, mass wrestler. Um, Under the name, or under uh, wrestling under that name.
0: All right. Um, Also on the show is going to be Horace Boulder. Uh, Tell us about uh, Horace.
1: That was uh, Mike Awesome's cousin. Uh, You know, the gladiator had just, you know, he the gladiator just was getting more and more over, um, you know, as this big guy that was really impressive. And so they kept bringing him back and, you know, they, he needed a tag team partner, you know, he'd already, um, you know, he, his only kind of a relationship in FMW at that time was, you know, with Mr. Pogo and everything. So they decided to bring in, you know, they wanted to bring in more, uh, you know, big foreign guys that were willing to wrestle, you know, in barbed wire street fight kind of matches. And so pretty much with his connection, he brought in his cousin, Horace Boulder, um, who's you know also related to Hulk Hogan all
0: right cool and uh also on the show I'm just curious so uh Gregory Verachev the new WWE martial arts champion uh he defeated Ueda in the mid card and throughout the tour he's kind of in the mid card the third fourth fifth match uh why why isn't he in like the main events
1: because Oneida is still, still gonna be the main event. He's still the main draw. He's still gonna he want, he's gonna still get the wins and everything like that, um you know, and and have the wild street fight matches, which you know, Verrich chef and um you know boris weren't they weren't gonna have those kind of wild street fights, you know, that were getting. Uh, um, you know, the the attention, you know, for like house shows and everything that were drawing. So, you know, they wanted to keep him strong, you know, to set up the match uh in the future uh against Onita and everything. So, you know, and get him get his name out there, you know, have more people know who he is and whatnot to set up the match. But they didn't want him losing to Onita. They didn't want, you know, anything like that. They kind of wanted to just, you know, wait till, you know, for them to cross paths. And, you know, in the meantime, they're gonna have Onita uh, you know, be in the main event. And, you know, get the wins and everything.
0: All right. Uh, one, one more, excuse me, one more guy who's coming in right now is Amigo Ultra. Uh, who was this?
1: That was uh, Damien. He was actually, you know, uh, the last episode we talked about, he was Ultraman, you know, under a mask gimmick and everything. Um, and Ultraman, a very popular superhero in Japan, uh, FNW got told, you know, you can't have, you know, this gimmick. You can't have an Ultraman, you know, blatantly ripping us, you know, our character off. Um, so pretty much they had to change the gimmick a little bit. They had to change the name. Um, you know, same guy, obviously, and pretty much the same mask, but kind of more of a, a Mexican, you know, Ultraman uh gimmick going on so they they had to tweak it a little change the names that they pretty much you know could because they legally could not use the
0: Ultraman name awesome now um quick question so as the foreigners are coming in um it's obvious that fmw the main events are going to be death matches brawling and stuff do you know if any of the foreigners had any hesitation to join the company because of this
1: uh no i mean pretty much at this point you know they know what it is you know they're and uh they're you know they're getting told ahead of time you know this is this kind of style that you're willing you know you're going to come to japan for and you know you're going to make good money and you know they're willing to do that and also you know it's it's a different style but you know in certain ways it is an easier style you're not you know it's it's um you know like a no rope barbed wire match you know it's easier on your body as far as you know not blowing up not getting tired you know things like that um, you know yeah you're gonna get hurt you know you possibly might get hurt worse and whatnot or get cut up but it's you know it's a different kind of style um than just a straight out you know regular match and so you know they're told ahead of time and everything you know and so they're they're aware um going in you know what to expect
0: all right awesome um yeah i always know the story that uh lance storm tells a story that when he got uh called up by paul Heyman, he said He told him outright, I'm not doing any of the brawling. I'm not doing the barbed wire, blah, blah, blah. And Paul Heyman said, that's fine. Don't worry about it. It's just kind of interesting. Uh, May 5th, excuse me. There we go. Okay. Uh, Okay. Sorry about that. May 5th, 1991, saw FMW run a large show in Nagoya, drawing, uh, I think, 3,000, 4,000 fans. Uh, May 5th eventually became FMW's main show of the year. Why was May 5th chosen?
1: It's uh, pretty much the end of Golden Week, which is a week-long national holiday uh, for Japan, and so it's the last day, and it just happened to you know fall on that day. They wanted you know a specific day. Um, and during that week but you know when they uh, ended up booking Kawasaki Stadium starting in 1993 uh, you know they booked it for May 5th and it did really well so they you know hey this works and so they kind of just kept going with it um, every year um, you know they pretty much had an agreement with Kawasaki Stadium to just run that building every single year um, because they were making money with it so it just ended up you know kind of a coincidence that it happened that you know that specific day in 1993 but as a result of the success they just kept going Going with it,
0: all right. Also uh, on the show, making his debut is going to be a- uh, Eiji a- a- Zaki. Azaki. Uh, what was his background? Was this his first match, and who would he go on to be?
1: He was, he was a college wrestler um, in uh, Kumamoto in you know southern Japan. Uh, so he you know he grew up loving wrestling, and he. Um, um, ended up joining a uh, college wrestling promotion. Um, in Japan, there's a lot of those uh, around where it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's kids pretty much, put, you know, they're messing around and everything and having fun. But, you know, there's a real ring. There's actual people coming to the shows and, you know, there's actual gimmicks and everything and having, you know— so there's some legitimate to it, even though, you know, it's it's just kids kind of messing around and and whatnot. So he ended up doing that and he met uh, Masashi Honda, um, who was also in the at the school and, you know, in the promotion. And uh, Honda got information about um, tryouts for FMW, um, you know, join become a wrestler at the dojo. And so Honda, you know, reached out to Ezeke, Um and Ezeke originally declined it. But at the last minute, he joined Honda um, and they they took a bus all the way from Kumamoto, uh, to um, Sayatama, which is, you know, about a 12, 14 hour, you know, bus drive and everything throughout the night. They got there, they tried out. There's over a hundred uh, other people trying out. Um, they end up making, they're the only two people to uh, end up making the cut pretty much. And they uh, for about three months or so end up um, per, uh, training in the dojo. And as they would both call it a personal hell, what, they made him go through and everything and on may 5th Ezekiel ended up getting called up pretty much because of an injury um uh, he actually wasn't you know ready to make the debut he didn't even have uh wrestling tights at the time he ended up having to borrow another wrestler's tights um for the match because it was just so last minute so he ended up um you know making his debut on may 5th which coincidentally ended up being you know pretty much the day uh that most people know for and W.
0: Awesome, and uh, also on the show, just to say, uh, Gregory Verchav defeated Onita in a rematch for the titles. No, so he's now two and O over over Onita. Uh, the next day on May 6th, they held an outdoor show uh, at the Osaka Expo Festival Land in front of about seven thousand plus fans. When FMW runs these festival shows, what is the promotional split like? Are they are they in charge, or is the other company in charge?
1: They're in charge. This this is pretty much just an outdoor event where, you know, a lot of people, it's kind of like a fairgrounds, Um, you know, they set up everything outside. So there's already people kind of around and whatnot. And, hey, come over here and there's a wrestling show going on. Um, So, you know, they're, you know, obviously they're paying, you know, probably higher rent to be able to run, you know, this popular area, this popular ground area, you know, that people already are going to be at. But, you know, they're going to get the full, you know, uh, rent or they're going to get the full gate and everything, uh, just pay a higher rent. To be able to run the show,
0: and uh, I'm just curious. I've been to uh, I've been to a few of these types of, of shows. Do you know if the tickets are the same? Are they cheaper? Are they more? Uh,
1: there, this this show specifically is the same um, nowadays. They end up being either cheaper or even free. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people, a lot of promotions in Japan. It's a way to get their name out there, and you know, to get people that don't know about the promotion and see what it is. So it was more of um you know j- nowadays it's more of just to get attention on yourself at this time you know this was just specifically like hey we're going to have a big show right here uh you know and so the, the the prices were normal and everything
0: cool uh for anyone who wants to know if you go to my youtube channel you uh you can search uh the culture Bum, and there's a video i have where i go to one of these big, big uh bjw shows that are that's in the middle of a food festival and in this case it's free and it's 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 mostly children and old old women to be honest but yeah it's a way to get more eyes on the product and these are pretty common all over the country you see them a lot um also on the the show gregory verchev he would defeat tarzan goto in a, in another title match to uh secure his place, I guess. Combat Toyota defeated Megumi Kudo in a tag match to set up their later bigger match in the next month. And in the main event, Onita defeated Mr. Pogo in a landmine death match. Um, This is actually, there's actually a very famous clip. They show one second of this on one of those A&E, the history of wrestling, that uh, it blew my mind when I was 12 and I was like, what is this? And it was one of the first times I knew I had to find out what this other wrestling was. Uh, on the outside of the ring, they have these bar, these barbed wire boards with landmines that create these giant puffs of, uh, uh, smoke, well, uh, fire really. Um, how did they make these explosions
1: uh pretty much the same way they use the exploding barbed wire where you know it's just putting in you know these explosives uh and you know i mean it's it's a good deal of money and everything but um pretty much yeah just putting in the explosives to the barbed wire so whenever they get touched it's going to create a huge explosion a huge fireball pretty much
0: and um there's no barriers i mean the fans are maybe 12 feet from this maybe less uh again there's no safety for the fans here
1: yeah, no. I mean, well, what they do is they they make it sure it's the fans are far away. Uh, you know, usually when it comes to any type of explosion matches, they have to run a certain you know area that's big enough, um, you know, to fit this. So yeah, they make sure the fans are so, so many feet away to where none of the explosions are gonna hit. And I, as far as I know, all the years I've heard heard about, they've never had any you know incidences of a fan you know getting you know any bit of the explosions or anything like that. Um, so they make sure they're far away.
0: There's been a couple instances at the uh, the CZW TOD shows where fans will jump the barriers and they'll jump through a gimmick, you know, some light tubes or Uh something. And I guess imagine what it would be like if they jumped on these fiery explosions. Yeah.
1: Well, Uh, yeah, Big Japan will have glass all over the, uh, you know, they, they, the fans are, you know, especially at Corrigan Hall, you know, glass is flying all over in the first couple rows and everything. So, uh, but as far as explosions, yeah, they make sure they're far away.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and also if you go to freedoms, you'll have thumbtacks all over. If if you're sitting on the floor to, to a freedom show, you'll have thumbtacks in your shoes all like all over. It's, it's pretty wild. Um, uh, I just wanted to ask one more, uh, like what is the safety of, of, of this fire being so close to the wrestlers? I mean, does it extinguish so fast that there's no real, real danger or do, or do they have to be very knowledgeable of where the explosions are? Yeah,
1: it's, they got to be knowledgeable not to be uh, in the way of the certain, you know, where the explosion takes off. You know, they're told ahead of time, you know, make sure you don't hit this part. It will, you know, you could get severely hurt. Um The explosion sometimes, I mean, very rarely, but I know there was one about four years ago. Onita went through exploding barbed wire and a fireball pretty much came from the exploding barbed wire and burnt his arm up. So, you know, there is still the danger and everything. It's, you know, it's uncommon, but it has, you know, it has happened. Um, But like I said, they're specifically told, you know, hey, this is where the explosion is going to take off. Do not land here
0: um one last note uh during the match there's one part where onita he falls out the ex- the explosion goes off and as he's getting back in the ring uh a, 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 a second one goes off and um was this planned or were these actual pressure sensitive mines
1: yeah, it's pressure, you know, it's something where, he, you know, he got touched and it, you know, took off. So I don't think that specific spot was planned, um, you know. But again, he was kind of far away from it so that it, you know, there was no severe damage or anything like that. But yeah, I think that specific time, you know, that was an accident I think he took a wrong step when trying to get up.
0: All right, cool. Um, and uh, after the match, they did a big angle with Pogo and Canones, if you want to go, go over that uh pretty much what it
1: was is they wanted to turn uh they wanted to tease that mr pogo was going to turn face uh so canones got really upset over pogo losing yet again to onita and so he gets really upset at pogo and starts you know berating him and everything and then so pogo uh attacks him and you know just set up um the, it looks like an, a pogo face turn coming uh forward
0: all right, cool. Um, uh, so to go over the background of of the show, um, I don't know if you know, but Dave writes that uh, a fan died uh, shortly before the event started. Do you know the story about this?
1: Yeah. So um, the way they had set it up, where you know there were seats and everything, but there was also like elevated um, people. Or people could just kind of like sit up on some like high areas and everything. Not like uh and kind of the best way to describe it's kind of like imagine like a truck is just you know or like a big truck a big wheeler kind of truck and imagine people being allowed to just kind of sit up on that uh you know on top of those you know so their fans just kind of you know kind of making their own seats since it was a festival and everything and uh one person just ended up falling from the high area and fell to his death sadly
0: and uh is there any law about who is responsible
1: uh, i never heard anything as far as uh, you know f and w taking any heat from that um you know i know it was a really big issue um you know with the wrestlers and everything um but i, I never heard anything as far as like legal problems i would imagine it's the the festival that would actually probably take the hit if the- if anyone were to just because that was you know their setup and everything because i don't i don't know necessarily if the fan had specifically you know the fan had not bought a seat in itself like a chair or anything like that it was you know like i said he was sit- sitting at a high area that was kind of set up by the festival
0: Alright, cool. Now, um, okay, so uh, going into some business, which is going to carry us into the end of the show probably. Um, uh, so off camera, Onita has signed a deal with a laser disc company, uh, which was never that big in America. Were they bigger in Japan? Uh, it was it actually was just a video company and they were
1: willing to do laser ticks it was the BMGW or BMG video uh, company which Onida, which carried the FmW videos up until Onida's retirement uh, and they had a laser disc laser disc section um, that pretty much uh, didn't do very well because they only made about four of them or so so I can't say it did well considering it didn't go you know more than a year of doing it uh, of them uh, making them so but it was it made FMW need a lot of money at the time.
0: Do you know if FMW was the only company putting out that, uh, uh, standard?
1: I, I haven't heard about new Japan or all Japan doing any laser discs. I think it was just because this specific company was willing to do them. And that's why, you know, that's why FMW, uh, laser disc videos were made.
0: Cool. Um, now, uh, uh you know, Famously, Onita received uh, $25,000 as a si- uh, signing bonus, and we'll go over that uh, a little bit later. And also, uh, Dave wrote that there were nine cameras for this show, which is a lot by any standard. And um, I will say, if you watch the, the video of the show, there are a lot of camera cuts and um, uh, for the big explosions and stuff. But anyway, so uh, with all of this new money coming in, where is the money going? If there's still uh, – well, I'll let – I'll – let you say it but yeah where is all of this influx of money going to uh
1: mostly onita onita's getting a big share of the money um you know it's going into the company as well the company is growing and growing but onita's you know check is getting bigger as well and you know Wrestlers are getting paid more. Um, the foreign wrestlers are getting, you know, really good deals and everything. And and Onida would end up using that money, um, you know, the growing money to end up bringing in uh, more talent going forward. But at the, you know, at this time, it's Onita's getting a nice car. Onita's, you know, getting a nicer house and everything. He's kind of taking advantage of, you know, this new money that's just now, you know, it's getting really good money. And you know, like I said, it is going to the company and everything. But Onita's still the number one priority on. Um, you know where this money is going.
0: Awesome. The next show is going to be on May fifteenth. Uh, a new member of the roster is going to be Delta Dawn. Who was Delta Dawn? She was uh, Rhonda Singh, who a uh, and
1: who also was known as uh, Bertha Fay in WWF. Um, so she was a bigger uh, Canadian uh, women's wrestler that you know wrestled against uh, Alundra Blaze and all that in the mid '90s in WWF. Um, so they brought her in to kind of be the a monster uh, women's heel go um, against Megumi Kuda.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, missing from the show. Just uh, you kind of answered it already, but uh, A.G. Azaki is not on the show. Um, Why wasn't he continued to put on shows?
1: Yeah, he, he, um, you know, that May 5th show was just, you know, he was just an emergency, um, tag team partner, uh, because there was an injury on, um, on the show. So he ended up, he wasn't supposed to actually wrestle. Um, so he actually did not even consider the May 5th show as his actual debut, even though it was his first match and everything. Um, so yeah, he still had about a couple more months uh, until they felt he was ready.
0: Um, I don't know if you know or not, but at this time, who are the other guys who are in the dojo waiting to debut?
1: Uh, At this time, it's just Masashi Honda because they were the only – who would later become Mr. Ganeske because they were the only ones in that class, uh, in the 91 um, class, uh, you know, that made the cut and everything. At this point, all all the 1990 uh, FMW dojo wrestlers, uh, they either, um, you know, had already debuted or they were gone. They had been cut.
0: All right, cool. Now, um, despite the – excuse me. Okay uh despite the babyface angle at the end of the the May 6th show, uh Mr. Pogo on the cars, he appears to be teaming with heels and foreigners throughout the tour. Uh what happened at this show that uh you know, what angle was there at the show?
1: So um it was actually in in May in in May that same month in May, later in May, um Mr. Pogo's all bandaged up, he's in crutches and everything. And he, you know, he comes to the ring and he offers his hand, you know, out of respect to Onita. You know, hey, I respect you, what we've done and everything. And Onita shakes it and it looks like Mr. Pogo's gonna turn face. And then Mr. Pogo ends up blowing a fireball at Onita and to show, you know, to pretty much swerve everyone, show I'm you know, and he uh to show, you know, he was still gonna be a heel regardless.
0: Awesome. And uh, just to note, after the show, uh, Onita would take a bunch of the uh, the photo people and they would go to a hotel and he attacked Mr. Pogo in the lobby and it was a big angle. Uh, there's photos of that if you can find them. Um, so this all led to May 29th in 1991. Uh, in Tokyo, they drew 5,300 people, which again is a pretty big house, especially by the standards now. And uh, Onita eventually he finally defeated Verachev to get the uh, – the wwa martial arts title back was this feud seen as a success
1: yeah because every show that they um that they wrestled on did really good numbers and you know i mean again it's mostly because of onita and his popularity and everything but you know uh Virtue chef was you know known as a real deal it was kind of like hey look onita's actually beating a legitimate badass he, you know a a a guy that meddled in the Olympics in judo and here, he is, you know, here is Onita you know, defeating him. Look what he can do, you know? So that kind of, you know, that still was, you know, over with the crowd and everything like that. So yeah, it definitely did good business.
0: All right, cool. Um, now during the match, Onita he's got his left arm bandage. Is this a real injury or was it some type of angle? It was from the fireball that Mr. Pogo had
1: blown when he, you know, uh, faked, uh, you know, the friendship with Onita and everything. And he turned, you know, showed that he was still a heel. And he threw the fireball and it ended up uh, grazing across Onita's arm. And, you know, at this time, you know, Mr. Pogo ended up throwing 100, fi- you know, fireballs, even more probably in his career. But at this time, it was the first time people had seen it in Japan. So it was a really big deal and, you know, gotten all this national attention. It was the front cover of the magazine uh, and everything. So Onita was selling the fireball to the arm.
0: All right. Uh, Also on the show, Invader Number Four would debut. He lost a a a mask versus hair match against Tarzan Goto. Who was Invader Number Four?
1: That was uh, Invader One, Jose uh, Jose Gonzalez's uh, brother. Um, You know, we have talked about on the last episode the guy that uh, killed Bruce. Cody, um so they had brought his brother in for this show and um you know they had him unmask uh on this show to reveal that it was indeed uh um Invader 1's brother
0: um is there any uh like so are they still I'm just curious are they still tap dancing around the Invader number 1 angle uh like what is the angle going on with the uh the Puerto Rico talent
1: Yeah I mean it, it's still through, they're still working with Victor Canones at this time, and, um you know, at this moment, so, uh, who knows what it would have led to, I don't think it would ever led to, um you know, Invader 1 ever appearing in Japan, obviously, because we talked about that last episode where he was, you know, it would have it been bad news for everybody, but I think, you know, still with the connections and everything, and I think it was kind of like, hey, look, it's not, you know, it's not Invader 1, but hey, look, we beat, you know, we beat his brother, you know, kind of thing to, you know, kind of not the, it's not the same, but it was- still kind of like yeah like this is this is good enough right you know we can we can bring his brother and beat him right
0: okay cool that's kind of what i thought it was so i'm just asking okay um so the rest of the show is going to be about my favorite subject that i've been waiting for um so i'm going to try to go slowly with this but uh so during this time uh uh let me try to get these names right. Kazuyoshi Osako and Mickey Ibaragi. They left FMW. Uh who were who were they and what led to them leaving?
1: So Osako was uh management. He'd worked in the office for FMW and Mickey Ibaragi or Ibaragi uh you know, he was one of the founding fathers of FMW. He had started FMW with Onita in 1989. So he'd been there since the beginning uh, of the company.
0: And uh why did they leave?
1: Pretty much Onita's uh, ego. Um, that's that's all I've ever been able to hear about was just they couldn't handle Onita's ego, whether it be you know Onita taking all the money, uh, you know, um, you know, and things like that, becoming the big star and everything. But you know, Onita had final say. He was the main guy, and they just pro- they just couldn't work with him anymore. And so they just decided we're going to start our own company and we're going to go up against you instead of you know have to deal with your ego and all the crap that you know I'm, the headaches that he was bringing them.
0: All right cool uh, now uh, okay so in June uh, Dave writes that Mr. Pogo and a few of the front office people are leaving FMW to create their own company. Um, this would of course go on to become wing. Uh, now who were the initial backers and stars of Wing and what role did Victor did Victor Canones play?
1: So, yeah Victor joined uh, Mickey uh in cr- in creating wing so Victor and Mickey uh, they were the top two guys as far as funding the promotion um so they were able to you know Victor was able to be able to bring in his guys from Puerto Rico with wing and everything um and so it was pretty much you know yeah they were pretty much st- um, you know forming their own rival company up against Donita
0: Okay, cool. And um, I'm just curious, was Wing meant to be a takeoff of the the uh, the name Rings, which was an offshoot promotion that was going on at the moment?
1: No, it was just no. It was uh, specifically, you know, given wing because they wanted to have you know the wing logo. Um, they wanted to use you know the it's uh, use the word the initials for you know international wrestling and new generation involved. So it kind of was the symbol of hey, there's going to be international wrestlers here. Uh, there's going to be you know uh, young wrestlers. It's not going to just be you know Onita, you know. 30, you know, five, 36 year old Onita all the time. It's going to be, you know, the young 20 something rest, young uh, wrestlers and, you know, cool international wrestlers coming in. So that, that was kind of where uh, the Wing name came from.
0: All right, cool. Um, what other talent left with Pogo?
1: Uh, just uh, Ryo Mayaki, which was one of the 1990 FMW dojo uh, wrestlers. Uh, he was the only one that uh, specifically left FMW. Um, but Pioneer Sinche at this time had gone under. Uh, we talked about that promotion from uh, Rayuma Go uh throughout 1990 and it went under so a lot of the talent there ended up kind of joining with uh you know Kanones and all that so they brought in um a lot of their young boys and everything and including um you know Yukihiro hiro kanemura uh so you know they kind of filled out the roster with them but as, as far as fmw guys go just um you know just rayuma or just um uh, ryo mayaki Uh, He was the only one that specifically left the company and other than, you know, Mr. Pogo. um, But, you know, with Victor Canonez leaving, he was able to bring in all his Puerto Rico guys that had been usually working for uh, FMW. And so a lot of the uh, foreign talent that had worked FMW in the past were going to begin working with Wing.
0: And um, so uh, uh, did did Wing know that that they were going to focus on the hardcore stuff?
1: Yeah, they knew with Mr. Pogo as the top guy that um you know they were it was going to be that type of style of match and everything like that. Uh, you know you, you you can't have, you know, all Japan type wrestling or New Japan type wrestling with Mr. Pogo as, you know, your number one main star and everything. Um so and also I was was going to men- mention that, you know, um uh, Mr. Hiro Matsunaga who had uh worked with FMW, you know, in early or in 1989 and in 1990. Um he and Ayagi had left FMW because Pioneer Senche had offered them more money. Um, and so when Pioneer Senche went out, uh, Matsunaga ended up, you know, joining uh, with Wing and they focused on they kind of found a uh, they kind of found their top babyface in Matsunaga uh, working the death matches. Um, you know, which at the time, you know, he was still kind of known as a karate guy.
0: Okay, cool. I was going to ask if uh, Pioneer Sensei was starting to do the hardcore as well, but I guess not. Um I have just so many questions because Wing is just so cool to me. The idea of it. Um, so uh, quickly, um, a couple of the talents that Wing were hoping to get was uh, one of them was it Yoshihiro Asai. Who was he at this point?
1: Uh, he was. He had been working um, in. Um, he had worked in Universal uh, in 1990. Um, he would end up obviously becoming Ultimo Dragon, um, which. You know, so he was living in Mexico at the time, and every and um, they had made a contact to him to try and bring him in. Obviously, that didn't work out. Um, you know, but he, you know, had kind of developed a little bit of a reputation in the Universal Pro, but also, you know, he was getting a bigger, bigger name in Mexico at this time uh, under Ultimo Dragon. Like I said, uh, Wing couldn't afford to bring him in, and he ended up going to uh, the uh, he ended up go- ended up going to uh, the SWS and uh, Tenrews promotion.
0: All right, cool. Now, um before this happened uh, FMW, they were promoting a show that would be in uh late June. There would be a rematch between Onita and uh Pogo. So, like how um how much I'm sorry, when the the split happened, was the office like shocked? Uh, I think it was it wasn't shocked, but I think it was kind
1: of like okay, you know, fine, leave, you know, you're going to, you're leaving the winning team here, you know, to start up your own promotion. That's not going to work out, you know? So it's kind of, you know, very, you know, bitter feelings at the time. Um, but I don't think it was shocked. I think, you know, there were probably, you know, shouting fights and everything. Um, you know, Onida is very stubborn. Onida is very ego driven. Um, and Mickey Irabi Ibaragi is, you know, he's, I've been told he's kind of a little off and everything. And, you know, he's just, he's not going to put up with the crap that Onita was probably Probably willing to put up with or uh, well, that other people were willing to put up with with Onita. So it kind of, you know, I think it was bound to happen because of the personalities involved.
0: Cool. Um, do you have any idea what the other top talent felt like, like with uh, Goto? Was there any idea that Goto might go as well? Or was he pretty set?
1: No, yeah, I think he just said, I mean, you know, there's a very a loyal, um, you know, it's very loyal uh, based in, you know, in Japanese wrestling for the most part. Usually, you know, once you're set, you know, unless you're unless you feel like you've been done wrong, um, you're not going to you know leave or unless, you know, there's just you're offered just so much money, which I think that was the situation with Pogo. Pogo was just offered so much more money to join wing uh, than he was getting at FNW at the time. And he was never going to get that money with Onita on top.
0: Cool, and uh, one name who I don't think we've really discussed in this series, except for the first little pre uh, uh, pre show episode, but um, is uh, Shoichi Arai. He would uh, he was the the ring announcer, and he would go into the front office. Um, is there any notes that you want to say about Arai? Yeah, so
1: he was, you know, brought in as a ring announcer. He was just always a wrestling fan growing up, and, um, you know, he tried out uh, the very first FMW show, um, and what ended up happening was he got on the mic, and the mic didn't work uh, to do a ring announcements. So, you know, instead of freaking out or anything like that, he just starts shouting the ring announcements um uh, you know, out loud. So everyone in the building and here, and that really impressed Onida. So he was always kind of, uh, you know, he was, Onita always was really high on Arai and, and Arai was a very good announcer as well. So after this political, um, you know, shift with, um, you know, certain people leaving for wing and all that, uh, Arai would end up, you know, getting a higher position and would end up becoming vice president of FMW.
0: And uh, just to say the current president of BJW, Tozawa, he started out as you know a concession boy for a baseball, a baseball team that wound up going into concessions for wrestling and then became a ring announcer and then a ref. And it's funny how the presidents, they have to have the passion there, I guess. Um, I think that we can end it there and uh, we'll come back next, uh, next time and we'll finish up in – uh, just to say we aren't going to cover wing week by week, but you know, some of the bigger events we'll comment about and stuff like that. But, um, before we leave, do you have any, in, uh, any news that you want to share about, uh, what onita has been doing for the past two weeks?
1: So they had the, um, the no rope, uh, exploding barbed wire match, uh, you know, against the CCW, CZW guys. Um, Onida obviously won that match, but there was, um, a second match added on. And so... Onita decided at the last minute to kind of add this second match just because he knew, you know, there were 2,700 people showed up, so it was a pretty big show, you know, outside and everything, and it, it gathered some media attention and all that. So he knew he needed to promote his uh, main event or he, well, his retirement show at the end of the um, at the end of the month because, as we mentioned last time, the ticket sales for his retirement show, um, you know, they're not doing as well as expected, uh, and so um, Onita had the angle where. Um, where of, uh, and I'm drawn, uh, drawn a blank on his name again. Uh, I did it last mm, time too. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Fujita, yeah. Uh, Kazuyuki Fujita uh, came to the ring, and um, with the help of Nosawa and Kendo Kishan, um, they pretty much used uh, exploding barbed wire baseball bats uh, on Onita at the same time. Uh, you know, got a, sh- a quick pin over Onita to set up uh, the fujita Onita match. So um, following that show, Onita announced, you know, the retirement match would be actually a six-man with Onita, Yaguchi, and Hosaka versus uh, Fujita. Nosawa and Kendo Kashin. Um but after the last uh, after this past weekend at the last uh, Onita FMW show, Oh Onita announced that he wanted to have a handicap match for his retirement match where it would just be Onita against Fujita Nosawa and Kendo Kashin, but that match has not been made official yet. It's just something that Onita stated he wanted to have happen, but it has not officially been announced yet. So we got 2 weeks left until uh, his retirement show. <laughs>
0: Um, Now, uh, before that, on the 29th, he's going to have a tag match against Aoyagi, right?
1: Yeah, it's gonna be a, uh his last ever exploding death match. So he's gonna take on Ayagi and Minnowan. Um and he's gonna team up with Kai, uh, the W one and all Japan wrestler. Um so it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be Onita's last exploding match. Um probably not gonna be very good. I don't think it's gonna make tape other than highlights anyway, but it's gonna be the last Onita Ayagi match, which, you know, obviously that feud's been going on for twenty eight years.
0: Um just kind of asking i mean obviously this is just us talking but uh do you think that that if they were to do that Aoyagi match at uh on the 31st that it might be a better draw
1: um i don't know it'd probably be the same i would imagine i you know i i don't think fujita is a very good draw um but i think um with ayagi it's in nagoya and that's Ayagi's hometown. And, you know, even going back to the first FMW show, you know, that was in Nagoya, and a big promotion part of that show was Ayagi being a hometown guy taking on Onita. So, you know, it just kind of it does fit better the fact that it is uh Nagoya. And also it can be an explosion match so they can hide. Because, you know, if you think Onita shot, you know, as far as his knees and everything, Ayagi, he got in a motorcycle accident two years ago and he his uh legs were so screwed up, you know, that he retired and everything. He, because figuring he can't even you know he can barely walk at the time and stuff so he's even more shot um, as far as mobility so the explosions and everything that will be you know they'll hide the fact that you know you have two you know 60 year old men in a you know tag team match facing off against each other Um, better than it would at Corrigan where you could only really have a street fight kind of style where you're going to brawl over the building which I don't think Ayagi could even do at this point.
0: Um, I'm just curious uh, if you know what is the cost associated with with, uh, with doing these exploding ba- um, exploding bad exploding ring matches.
1: Uh, The exploding bats are a couple thousand, um, from what I've been told. Um, I haven't been told as far as exploding, you know, barbed wire or anything, but I would imagine, you know, around, you know, five to ten thousand probably uh, dollars. And you know, the I mean, obviously it gets bigger. I I do remember hearing that like the exploding ring, which is the like uh, the Onita Kanamura one at Kawasaki. You know, that was nearing a hundred thousand that they spent on that to do the you know huge explosion of the ring. So, I mean, it's pretty costly but yeah they uh zero one with the exploding bats it's a lot cheaper than the exploding barbed wire so they like to do that a lot more frequent and everything
0: um is that yen or dollars
1: the uh, dollars Jeez. But, yeah so
0: yeah oh my gosh uh okay uh, are there any other onita notes you want to say
1: uh, no, that's uh, pretty much it. So like I said, he's, you know, in two weeks, that's going to, you know, I mean, most people don't believe he's going to retire, but he uh, to be to, to be fair to Onita, he has been saying for the last four years, I'm going to retire in o- October 2017. Now, whether he does or not, you know, he's pretty adamant that he will, but, you know, obviously there's a lot of people that aren't believing him, and I guess we'll find out here uh, coming up soon.
0: All right, great. Um, as a final note, I just want to say June – June Kasai, he's finally home. Uh, He's been in the hospital for almost a month now. Uh, And if you add up both stints, it was over a month. Uh, He had an infection in his finger, and he's finally home. And if you follow him on Twitter, there's a lot of great pictures of him with his daughter, him with his son. So I just want to congratulate him. Um, All right, Bahub, uh, as we, we leave, where can people find you online?
1: Uh, for my website, uh, bahu fnw on Twitter and, uh, bahu FNW World on Instagram.
0: Awesome. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at intlwrestling. Uh, I just kind of, I retweet a lot of the Japanese news. I retweet some of the, the better photos that I find and I retweet a lot of what bahu posts. So, uh, that's about it. So we'll see you guys next week where, where we'll cover uh, a little bit of the news about the debut of wing and the rest of the year I always think that we're going to do a full year in one show and then I start reading it and I'm like it's just impossible to cover it all in one hour so that's all yeah I think it's going to be like that for a while I think for the next couple years is going to be like that (laughs) yeah for sure because we have some more promotions coming up soon so uh all right guys I will see you guys later bye